There's a video, so go ahead and watch this. Here from Southeast Asia. We just wanted to let you know that we are so encouraged by all that God is doing through Anthem Church in Colombia and just all of the ways that He is working over there. I also just wanted to thank you so much for your prayers and support uh, for us to continue to go forth and share the good news and create avenues for uh, God to be working here as well. We love you guys so much and we miss you. Bye. Bye. Isn't it good to see them up on the screen? Um, some of you, some of you don't know who they are. You don't know why they were up there. But that was Nathan and Anna. And um, Nathan and Anna, we we actually, as a church, we sent them out about I think eight months ago or so, eight or nine months ago. And um, my my wife and I, uh, Allie, we got to we actually got to go for the past. I don't know. Dates are super messed up, especially this morning. I'm still jet lagged, so uh, didn't sleep very much last night. But that's okay. Um, I think it was like the fourth. We went. Was that when we the daylight savings time? Okay, you guys aren't helping me out any. Um, so I think that's when. And we we got to fly out. So when you guys were here worshiping together, we were on a plane heading over to Southeast Asia, and we had the incredible privilege to, to visit not only with, with Nathan and Anna and their team, but we, then we, we flew from there to another location in Southeast Asia, and we got to be with their team. And, um, and, and guys, one of, the, one of the reasons we did this, my wife is a professional counselor, some of you know that, but the reason we did this is because the number one reason long-term workers, which is what we call missionaries, we don't like to use that word very often, but sometimes people don't know. What do you mean long-term worker? But the reason long-term workers come back from the field, number one reason is interpersonal conflict with their team. They can't get along with other people on their team. So the idea was if we can go over and, and work with people on an individual basis, provide counseling, provide team dynamic training, then by God's grace, the longevity of the work will, will, will go forth. Um, and so the reason I wanted to talk about this just real quick this morning is because we are a part of something that's so much bigger than just what's happening here in Columbia. Amen? God, God's doing things here. I think just in the time that we have been gone, I, I kept getting text messages like, hey, another person gave their hearts to the Lord, and uh, another person accepted Jesus. It's like, man, praise God. God is working here in Columbia, Missouri. But not only that, but we are a part of something that's so much bigger than just here in Columbia, Missouri. As a, as, as a church, as a part of a, a network, the SALT network, not, we've sent couples overseas, and, and by God's grace, we'll continue to send more because we as a church, we want to, we want to be focused on a success that's, that's driven by sending capacity, not just seeding capacity, right? And so, so this morning, as we, as we here, sitting here in Columbia, Missouri, as we open up God's word, know that we are a part of a bigger body. People, people all over the world, we're a part of a body, we're a part of God's kingdom. And so as you give, as online or you give in the giving box, you're giving to that work. Okay, so, so I want you to understand that, and we need to continue to lift people up, and, and by God's grace, we'll continue to send more people out. Um, but let's just pray this morning. Let's, let's just take a few moments to pray for, for our friends who are overseas and, and the different workers. So, so join with me. Um, God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that, that we get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than just us. God, we get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than just here in Columbia, Missouri. Even though I mean, what's happening here is amazing, God, and, and you are working, you are doing something. But God, I praise you that we get to be a part of something that, that, that goes beyond this. That, that people in places where the, your name, God, is, is being, trying to be stifled. Where places where 
there isn't access um, where some people have never heard the name of Jesus. I praise you, God, that we get to be a part of those works. And God, I pray that you would be with Nathan and Anna, be with Austin and Lauren, be, be, with, be with different leaders, God, in those places. God, just raise them up. Bless what they're doing, God. And, and God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. It's, it is so much fun to, to pray for, for people that maybe you'll never even meet. But this morning, um, we're going to be continuing our walk through Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 37. And, and guys, I honestly, I did not sleep very well. We got back Friday morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still, like, right now, my brain is still on, uh, I think it's 11 o'clock at night where we just were, so my brain's still kind of there. Um, but, but I love where we're at in, in the Scripture. Because uh, as you look at Genesis 37, the heading on, in my Bible says, Joseph's dreams. We're, we're starting to look at the narrative um, it, at this place in the narrative, we're getting into the story of Joseph. And, and, and if you have been raised in the church, most likely at some point in your life, you've colored a picture of Joseph and his coat of many colors, right? We've all done that. And yet, my prayer this morning, as we look at this narrative, and we're only going to be looking at one chapter of it, my prayer is that, you know, we, we as a church, as, as Christians, sometimes we have these standalone stories that we, just our go-to stories, which is, it's not bad, but like David and Goliath and, and Daniel and Lyons and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, right? We, we have these standalone stories, and yet one of my prayers this morning is that as we have continued to walk through Genesis, we'll be able to see Joseph, the story of Joseph, in, as, as an incredible story, but an incredible story in a much bigger context. Right, that the God who works in Joseph's life is, is the same God who put Adam and Eve in the garden. The, the God who works in Joseph's life is the same God who, who blessed the, uh, Abraham and, and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your family great and I'm going I'm to make your name great so that you'll bless the nations. See, Joseph's story is an incredible story, but it's a, a part of a, of a much bigger story that is really God's story. And through Joseph's story, we get to see more of who God is. And this morning, what, the, one, the main thing I want to look at is we look at just this one chapter of this story. Is I want to look at what happens when we allow pride and envy to take root in our lives. What happens when, when we allow pride to, to set up shop in our hearts? When we allow it to, to take root and, and, and allow it to, to, to do the things that pride and envy does, you see, the reality is we serve a God who, is, who has plans and is, who is moving, and, and pride and envy would say, yeah, I don't know about that. It's, it's looking at the plans of God with opposition instead of submission. And so this morning, as we look at the first chapter of Joseph's story, I want us to kind of look at that and say, okay, Am I allowing pride in my life? What does that look like? Let's, hopefully you're there in chapter 37, starting at verse 1. Let's read it together. Jacob lived in the land of his father, sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with his sons Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Let's, let's just stop there real quick. All right, again... What we see is, is this is the, the author, most likely Moses, who is leading the, the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses is writing down Genesis. He's, he's writing this out. 
And he comes to the place in the account where, where he's, he's talking about Jacob's descendants. And Jacob, we know, um, it's going it to kind of use the, the, the name Israel. We know from Todd's message, message last week, God is giving Jacob a new identity. He's giving him an, a, a new name. So Jacob, we see Jacob moving to Israel, and, and this is the descendants of Jacob. And Moses is writing this to show the descendants of Jacob God's sovereignty. They had just spent 400 years in Egypt, if you, if you look in the book of Exodus. They've just spent 400 years in Egypt, and, and maybe one of the questions is, like, where are we at in this whole story? And so Moses is writing this down, and he gets to the lineage of Jacob, which is their family history, and he starts to describe it by using Joseph to display God's sovereignty. And so that's where we are. And, and as, as he says, all right, this is the descendants of Jacob, he says, all right, here's Joseph. And the first thing we see about Joseph is as this story kind of the spotlight goes on to Joseph, we see that he's just a boy. He's 17 years old. He's a young man. And he's a young man with his, with his older brothers, and they're out shepherding, and we see the reference to Zilpah and Bilhah, the, uh, his, his father's other wives. And so right away, we're reminded of the dysfunction of this family, right? Don't, don't forget that just because your brain goes into automatic, like, oh, I know this story. We do that, right? We do that so much. Oh, yeah, Joseph, his dreams, he had a pretty coat. My mind goes on autopilot. But, but we remember that they are in a messed up family dynamic. There's favoritism, there's, there's backbiting, there's, there's sons sleeping with their dad's wives. There's like, like crazy, crazy, and yet God is working in the middle of it. And what we see here is it says that Joseph, he's out shepherding with his older brothers, and he brings back a bad report to his father. And it's interesting because in my mind, as my over-familiarity with this story I've always read this as Joseph's just this punk kid. He, he's just this punk kind of upstart, like he likes to stir the pot. He's just, he's just tattling on his brothers. He's, he's a guy we'll, we'll see in just a few minutes that flaunts this coat of many colors. He brags about his dreams. And, and Joseph's just this guy that's just like, you, you kind of want to like stick his head in the toilet, right? I relate to his brothers, I relate to his brothers, and yet what, what I want us to understand, again, when we're thinking this, of this in a bigger context, is that Joseph, throughout his story, which we're going to see over the next few weeks, he is a man of character. He's always described as a man of character. I mean, he, he may be young, which how many of us said things at 17 that we probably wouldn't say them the same way now? Yeah, okay, right? So there's probably things that, that you would say, hey, Joseph, maybe you don't want to say it that way. Hey, maybe you should use some tact here. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. But we see that he's a man, a young man of character, a young man who is pursuing godliness. And so he brings a bad report, not because he's malicious, because we don't see Joseph being a malicious person anywhere else in the scripture, anywhere else in his, in his narrative. We see him bringing a bad report of his brothers because there was a bad report to be given. His brothers were men who were, who were chasing after their own stories, their own flesh, their own desires, and Joseph didn't allow his birth order to stop him from standing up for what was right. He didn't allow, he didn't allow their, their family dynamic to stop him from standing for what was right. And so he brought a bad report about his brothers. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than, any of, 
any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So we see that, that it's interesting because it goes from him giving a bad report to, to him being loved more than any of his other brothers by his father. And, and again, because it's a, this is part of a bigger context, we know that he is the only uh, one of two sons of Rachel who was Jacob's most beloved wife. And you can remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the whole dynamic Jacob and Leah and Zilpah and Bilhah and everybody trying to one-up another. And there's, there's just all this reaction and, and all these different things. And yet what we see here is that Israel, Jacob, is showing favoritism to his youngest son. And he gives him this coat, this coat of many colors, as a, as a figure, as a, as a, figure as, a, as a physical representation of his love. But not only that, but this coat, uh, other translations could be, you could read this as, this is a coat with long sleeves. That's, that's another way to translate it. I think that a coat with long sleeves is much less fun to color. And so the, the biblical translators went with coat of many colors instead of coat with long sleeves. But wh- whatever translation you go with, both, both could be accurate. Both represent the same thing. That a coat with long sleeves or a coat of many colors represents authority. It represents this, this idea, it, this is a coat of an overseer. And the reality is, is that Joseph, because of his character, because of his righteousness, because of his pursuit of God, he acted in the role of an overseer long before his dad gave him a coat designating him as an overseer. And you see, again, I relate so much to the older brothers because it says they hated him for this. They couldn't speak peacefully to him. It was one of those situations. Have you ever had that where it's like, hey, dad, can you tell uh, my brother to pass me the mashed potatoes? It's like, well, he's right there. Like, you can't, you can't even, I can't even talk to you right now. I'm so frustrated. You see, the, the reason that they're so frustrated is because these men, like, they, they didn't ask. First of all, they didn't ask to be in this unfair situation. Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, which he should not have done. He knew better. He was, he was a person who his mom favored him over his brother, and it caused so much family trouble. He knew better, and yet he still does it. His brothers didn't ask to be in that situation. They didn't ask to be in an unfair situation. They didn't ask to be overlooked by their father. And yet because of their situation, it seems as though they allowed their situation to give them permission to pursue their own flesh, to pursue their own desires. And Joseph's pursuit of God just highlighted their pursuit of their own desires. They were receiving the, the, the consequences of their actions. We see the same thing in Galatians 6, 7 through 8. I have it up on the screen. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We see, we don't like this idea. We don't like the idea of, of well, if I'm pursuing my own desires, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reap or I'm going to get the, the consequences from that. We don't like that idea, and we especially don't like it when somebody else brings it out, brings it to the surface. I had a friend back in college. His name was Shane. And Shane, he started school with us at the same time but but very quickly there was a a a divide between shane and me 
myself and Shane. Uh, Shane, he started doing stuff, like stupid stuff right away, like doing his homework and studying. And, you know, and, and it was like, man, we're in college. And it was Bible college, you know, so it's not like it was crazy. But, you know, we, I mean, we'd stay up late and we'd prank and we'd play video games. And, and Halo was a new thing. It's like, oh, my goodness, my mind is blown. And, uh, you know, all, all this stuff was happening. I remember one night. Uh, one night, me and a bunch of my friends, we were hanging out in one of the rooms, and it was super late, and we were playing Mario Party 8 on the N64, and uh, we were getting rowdy, and, and Shane opened the door, and, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically he's saying, hey guys, when's the last time you read your Bibles? So, hey guys, when's the last time you got your homework done on time? Hey guys, when's the last, he, he basically was saying, look, you are spending so much time on things that don't matter, and you're letting your spiritual life rot. And we said, Shane, thank you so much for, for bringing this to the light. <laughs> I am right now, we're going to turn this video game time into a Bible study. That is not at all what we said. I think somebody said, judge not, lest ye be judged likewise. Like, we're Bible, Bible college kids, right? That's a throw down, boom, take that, Shane, right? But, I mean, basically, it's like, get out of here, Shane. What are you talking about? See, the reality is, Shane's pursuit of God just put a blinding light on my pursuit of self. I didn't like that. See, oftentimes, I relate to Joseph's brothers because there are times where I know, as I read Scripture, I see Christians should be generous with our resources and our time. And yet, how many times do we, we just, oh, I don't want to tithe. You tell me I have to give 10% of my income? That's my money. I don't want to give more of my time. We, we read scripture and we hear people who, who say, Christians should be out there sharing the good news. And we have so many reasons why we don't do it. Well, you don't know my situation. Christians should be people who have character. Christians should be people who are pursuing purity. Christians should be people who, who love their enemies. And yet we can have all these different reasons why we're not doing these things. And, and the reality is, it's just putting a light on, why we per, on, on us pursuing our own desires instead of God's desires. And we don't like that. And that's, that's what happened to, the, to these brothers. That's where they were at. And, and we see where, what happened. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, now this is, this is the point you would think that, Somebody would say, hey, Joseph, shh, buddy, like, great, those dreams are great. How about you write them down in a journal, <laughs> keep those, see what God does, right? But uh, he doesn't, he, I, you know, I can just imagine, you know, a set young man, he comes to his brother, hey, I had another dream, and they're like, are you kidding me right now? But he shares it. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? 
and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the same in mind. Three times throughout this, we see his brothers hate him. They hate him. You see that three different times. They hate him. They can't speak anything good about him because it seems as though not only are there, is their father giving special treatment to Joseph, now God is. Are you kidding me right now? And, and it, we see the root of it in verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him. See, the root there is jealousy. I, I love it, Jacob, who says his father kept his sayings in mind. Again, the bigger context, I, want, I think the reason that is is because Jacob was also a dreamer. He had dreams of God. Even though he's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't, you know, he rebukes him. But he's like, oh, I'm going to keep that in mind. But his brothers, they're jealous. See, what is jealousy? Isn't jealousy when, when we have a tendency to rejoice when others mourn? And we mourn when others are rejoicing? Jealousy is this, is this idea that it's saying, God, why do they get to do that? Why, why, did they, why are they being elevated? Why does it seem like they always get the good things? Why, why does it always seem like, like they get the blessings? Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but this is a thing. Again, I relate so much to these older brothers because there are so many times where I feel the draw of jealousy in my life. As a, you know, and it's like, well, you as a pastor? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many times where, where as a pastor, um, you know, I'll talk to people and I'll be discipling people and, and you know, spend months with them talking to them and trying to help them through things. And then it seems like one meeting, somebody else comes in, they meet with them, they say the same thing I'm saying, and then the person that I'm meeting with, they're like, oh my goodness, I met with this person the other day, my life has changed. Yeah, they, they said this and this and this, and now I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to walk in obedience now, and I'm just like, oh my, I just boom, punch myself, because I'm like, I, sa I said that. Come on. When I was pastoring a small church up in Iowa, I'd be preaching. I'd be bringing fire, you know. And then we'd, we'd, have, a, we'd have a revival speaker come in. He'd do a long weekend. He'd preach not even as good as I could. <laughs> and people come up to the altar crying and giving their lives. So I'm just standing in the back saying, <laughs> so frustrated. Why? The core of it is because I want to be used. The core of it is jealousy. The core of it is, you know, ultimately, I, I don't really care about where that person's going. I want to be the one to lead them there. I, I want to be the one front and center. I want to be the one that has the stories told about them. I want to I be the one. I, a pastor I was listening to, he said, he said this clever little phrase, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. See, ultimately, this is a, jealousy is just a, uh, it's, it's telling God that I don't agree with your plans. It's telling God, like, hey, if you would just get in line with what I want, if you would just use me the way I want to be used, if you would just give me the job, if you would give me the relationship, if you would, if you would just listen to, to my plans and what I want, man, this thing would just go so much better. Last week when we were in the airport, it, it reminds me, uh, we, we flew out Sunday, uh, the 4th, we flew out, we, we had a connecting flight out of Seattle, and so we were in Seattle, and again, it was, it was uh, daylight savings time, so, you know, we were an hour off, and, and we, get, we fly into Seattle, and our next flight was going to leave at 1230, 
And we get in there, and I think it was about 1145, 11, uh, 1150, somewhere around there. And I get super nervous in airports. Like, I'm just anxious. And my poor wife, like, she's just, she just deals with me. Um, and, and so we, we had to find our next, our next gate. We had to get new boarding passes. And, and it was just like, my mind was just pinging. Like, I was just like, Argh! And, and so we, we get out there, and, and Albertine was like, hey, let's, let's stop and let's get some coffee. Okay, yeah, that's fine. So we, we stood in line, and I was like, so uh, when's our next flight leave? Oh, like 1230 or so. And I'm looking, and I'm like, man, we got about 40 minutes. I don't know where the gate is, you know, and I'm, I'm looking. And I didn't say anything because that wouldn't be good, right? So I didn't say anything. I just was going, <sighs> <sighs> like standing behind her, you know. And finally, fi- we're in line at Starbucks. Finally, she's like, how about we just go find the gate? No, it's fine. Let's just hurry. You can get your coffee. It's fine. And she's like, no, let's, okay. You know, so, so we went. We, we finally find the gate. We find the, find the place. And, and we said, hey, we need our new boarding passes so we can, we can get on this flight. And the lady said, yeah, well, usually you don't do that this early. And I looked at my watch. What time is it? She's like, it's, it's 930. I, I was like, 930? Why is it? I felt like I was in Twilight Zone or something. I was like, why is it night? And the time changed from here in Seattle, and then it was an hour back because of daylight savings time and all those different things. And, I, I, and then I told my wife, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, you didn't even tell me what was wrong. <laughs> so then we went back and got coffee, and it was, it was fine. <laughs> See, the reality, though, is that is a picture of my life oftentimes. From my perspective, it's like, why aren't we doing this, God? Why aren't we going here? Why are you doing this? Why, why, why are we in this line? I got things to go. I got people to see. I got things. Like, I have my plan. Can you, just, can you just sign off on this? This is what I want. And from my perspective, I can't figure out why things aren't going the way that I think they should. Why aren't you using me? Why, why, aren't, why, why don't you give me the relationship? Why don't you give me the health? Why don't you give me the job promotion? And ultimately, what we are doing is we are saying, God, I don't trust you. And what we need to understand is that is rebellion, and it is pride. And guys, this morning, we need to repent of that. And, and we, don't, we, we need to start walking in submission to the plans of God and not in opposition to the plans of God. Saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. I feel frustrated, and I, and I, I feel like I don't know what's going to happen, and yet I trust you. See, his brothers allowed jealousy to take root, and we see what happens. Verse 12, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, just real quick, briefly, Shechem, that should, that should be, you know, bringing things to mind. Shechem is a place where, uh, if you remember two weeks ago, Stan's message, this is the place where Dinah was raped, Joseph's sister. This is the place where two of Joseph's older brothers went in, and because of, their, with, uh, because of their sister, they went in and slaughtered the men of Shechem. Shechem was a dangerous place, and so, so Jacob here is saying, hey, why don't you go check on what's happening? 
because I, I don't I don't know what's going on in Shechem. So so Joseph says, all right, I'll go. Verse 18 or excuse me, verse verse uh, 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and behold, he came near to them. They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Guys, the first thing that I want you to see here is that when we allow pride to take root in our lives, it leads to extreme bitterness, doesn't it? Do you see their, do you see their attitude towards their brother? Let's, here comes this dreamer. Let, let's, let's do this to him, and, and we'll see what happens to his dreams. We'll see what happens to the plans of God. We'll see, we'll see what happens. It leads us to this, this place of bitterness, doesn't it? And so they, they say, let's kill him. Let's, let's get him out of our lives. This, this symbol of our father's affection, let's, let's get rid of him. But we see Reuben, he speaks up. Reuben is the oldest. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand, restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. We see not only does this lead them to bitterness, this jealousy, this envy, this comparison, it leads them to bitterness, but also this destructive spirit. He said, let's, let's kill him. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 14, verse 30, it's up on the screen. It says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I keep saying it's up on the screen, and it's not, sorry. <laughs> makes the bones rot. Guys, this is this, is this understanding that, that envy causes this bitterness to grow, and it causes us to see things in a different light, and basically it just... It rots us from the inside out. Paul talks about it like this in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That was a huge list that I just read through, right? And, and even Paul says things like these. I don't know if you caught it, but, but envy and jealousy and fits of anger, Paul looks at those things and he puts them on the same level as drunkenness and orgies. Now you might say, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I can be envious at times, but come on. An orgy? <laughs> that, seems, that seems a little overdramatic. You, you wouldn't put your envy on the same level as drunkenness. You would never find yourself getting drunk. But, but man, there are times in our lives where we can allow that jealousy to take root. And you wouldn't put it on the same level, but Paul does. Why? Why does Paul do that? Because in Galatians 5, 14 through 15, which is right before what we just read, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What does he say? The whole law is summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says, if you keep devouring, if you keep biting one another, if you keep backbiting, if you keep, if you keep allowing jealousy to take root, if you allow yourself to compare, well, I can't believe they got that. I can't believe God used them in that way. I can't believe this. I can't believe. He says, you are going to devour one another. And look, look what happens. I, I love the, the next verse. It says in, in verse uh, 25, they, then they sat down to eat. Stop. Then they sat down to eat. You see the callousness in the brothers? They, they, they want to kill their brother. They take this, the robe off of him, the symbol of their father's love. They throw him in a pit. And as their brother most likely is begging for mercy from his older brothers, they just sit down and have a picnic lunch. See, when, when we allow jealousy and envy and comparison to take root in our lives, we no longer see people as people. We see them as reminders of what we don't have. We see them as reminders of the ways we're not being used. We see them as reminders of, of people where it's like, well, they're pursuing God. I can never do that. We see them as reminders. Proverbs 27, 4 says, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I have seen in church, in church families, I have seen things like this rip whole congregations apart. And it can start so small. It can start so small, and because it's not dealt with, because it's not brought out into the light, because that jealousy is, is allowed to fester, the people they don't see brothers and sisters anymore. They don't see the people that they are worshiping with anymore. They don't see people who are just trying to understand more of who God is anymore. They don't, they don't see people who, who they need to uh, encourage and admonish and, and, and sometimes rebuke. They don't see that anymore. They just see people. Every, I mean, every time the brothers saw Joseph, what do you think they saw? I mean, it says when they saw him coming from afar... He's wearing the coat. What did they see every time they looked at Joseph? That coat. Every time they looked at Joseph, they saw the representative of their, of their father's love, and they hated him for it. If we're not careful, if we allow jealousy and envy to take root, all we see in those around us are the things that we don't have. You see, we can, if we're not careful, we can allow this to take place, we can allow this to fester, but what do we see in God's plans? Verse 25, it says, Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing, a, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brothers and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. We see after this, after, after Joseph is on his way to Egypt, they, drip, they dip the, the coat in blood. They take it to their father, and they say, is this your son's coat? And, and Jacob, Israel, he's distraught. He's, he's, he can't be consoled. You see, in all of this, what we see is God's plans moving forward. God had a plan to get, to get Joseph to Egypt, right? 
God had a plan to, to use Joseph. And what we see in the life of Joseph is we see a foreshadowing of Jesus. And we're going to see that in, in the weeks to come. But we see that, that even now here, we see a beloved son who walks in righteousness. We see a son who is exalted. We see a son who is betrayed and sold into the hands of his enemies. When we look at the life of, of, of Joseph, what we're meant to see is a foreshadowing of Jesus. You see, here's the reality. We can, either, we can either follow God in submission to his plans and his will, or we can say, well, we'll see. We'll see what comes. We'll see what happens with this dreamer. You see, what the, what the brothers desired, what they wanted so desperately was the love of their father. What they wanted was to be accepted. And I believe it's the same thing that we want. We want, we want to be people of purpose. We want to be accepted. We want love. But see, the only way that we are going to receive that is to put our trust in the one who brings that to us. Amen? The only, one that we, the only way we can receive that is to say, Jesus, I desire you, not my own will. Jesus, I desire you, not, not these things, not, not my own exaltation, not my own praise. I desire you, God. And my question this morning is, where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Do you relate as I do to these brothers? Maybe, maybe you find yourself in a situation where it's like, man, this is not fair where I'm at right now. This situation's not fair. All, all the things that I'm dealing with, it's not fair. Maybe, maybe you find yourselves in relationships where you're struggling with people who it looks like they're receiving what you should receive. Or maybe you're struggling with the plans of God that don't seem to line up with your plans. My question for you this morning is where are you at? And would you consider with me this morning that the acceptance you desire is found in submitting to the plans of God, not walking in opposition to them? So my question for you this morning is where are you at? Maybe, maybe take some time this week. Maybe take some time this week to write down, God, here's, here's where I am envious. God, here's where I'm feeling jealousy. God, here's where I'm comparing. And maybe would you this week say, God, I want you more than that. Because we serve a God who is incredibly good, amen? And he has plans for us, each and every one of us. And the only way we will find ourselves in those plans, if we will submit to his will. Let's pray. God, I praise you and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy this morning. God, I praise you for who you are. God, I praise you for what, you, what you're done, what you've done and what you continue to do. And God, I praise you for, for the fact that you bring us life through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we love you, we praise you, and it's in your name. Amen.